welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, we talk with Holly Ting, who is the head coach at the women's ice hockey program at Colby College. We discuss her playing Division I hockey with vision in only one eye, her role with USA Hockey Development Camps, and go deep on Colby College's women's ice hockey program. I really enjoyed this conversation with Holly, and I hope you do too. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have on the Champs App podcast, Holly Ting, who is the head coach at Colby College. Originally from East Orleans, Massachusetts, she attended Tabor Academy for prep school before studying at Providence College and playing four years at defense for the Friars. After graduation, Holly returned to Tabor Academy as head coach of the girls program for three years before making the move to the Ivy League, where she was assistant and associate coach at Dartmouth for 11 years. In 2016, Holly became the head coach at the Division III program at Colby, Colby College, where she was the 2020 NESCAC Coach of the Year. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Thanks, Ray. It's great to be here. Awesome to have you. And like we do all our guests, if we can start off with uh, how did you get into the great game of hockey and tell us about your hockey history. Yeah, um, well, I started out figure skating um, because back in, uh, gosh, late 80s, um, girls didn't really play hockey. Um, and so I was, uh, I was a figure skater, um, always wanted a pair of hockey skates, finally convinced my parents that, uh, that they should buy hockey skates for their daughter. Um, and I never looked back once I did convince my dad. I actually think there's a, I, I grew up in a small town and um, somebody f saw him at the local sports store on, uh, Christmas Eve, um, literally at five o'clock right before the place was closing up and he was buying his daughter's, her first pair of skates. So, um, again, the rest was history. Uh, once did I got the siblings? skates, I did. Did you have any that? siblings that played hockey? Um, no, just my dad. My, I have an okay. older sister. Um, and she was a really good, she actually was a very good figure skater, um, herself and tennis and soccer. Um. And so, uh, yeah, my hockey, my hockey passion really did come from my dad and growing up just a huge Bruins fan. So, um, I got those skates and then I convinced him to let me play in the, in the house league, um, which was great. And then from there, I tried out for the, for the squirt team, boys team, um, got dressed in the first aid room, would go down to the locker room for the little pregame talk and, um, you know, my, my passion and, and love for hockey really just, uh, grew from there. So. And, and who are your biggest influences, you know, to, to become, you know, the, the hockey player that you, you did as a kid? Yeah. Um, again, I would attribute a lot of it to my dad. Uh, very good family friends of ours um, who I actually went, he and I left to go to Tabor the same year. Uh, Matt Perrin. Uh, Matt grew up in Orleans and, and he was a really good hockey player. Um, and so... Um, his dad was a big, a big supporter of me playing hockey. And I think actually his dad might've helped convince my parents, um, to let me play. Um, but I definitely, you know, I loved, I just loved hockey. So I would say my dad, you know, Matt, I went to, um, my, my dad actually went to Tabor. Um, and so when I got, you know, got going with hockey, we would travel around to different prep schools and watch different games and, um, Annie Kamens was a player who was at Tabor um, when I was looking at the school. Uh, she grew up in the Chicago area and currently, I think, works for the Blackhawks. And um, I just remember watching Annie play and I was like, gosh, I want to be, you know, I want to be just like her. And then 
my knowledge of hockey, you know, and women's hockey just kind of grew from there. So, um, you know, obviously Providence College with the alumni that they have and, and some of the uh, more prominent names, it was just, it was fun to, you know, to watch and be a part of the women's game as it really grew and took off. And um, my opportunity to go to Tabor was, was huge for me. So. It wasn't very far from home. Uh, I, I went no. and looked at the map today, and I realized you you haven't traveled very far in your hockey career. So I haven't. I'm a homebody for sure. Um, family is is really important to me, um, and so um, I actually was choosing between Providence and St. Lawrence, and I think that drive, you know, and being that far from home was was a factor for me. Um, Providence was, you know, was obviously a lot closer and. Um, if you leave my parents' house and drive to Tabor, it's about 50, 55 minutes. So during high school, my mom could do my laundry, come up on a Wednesday, <laughs> do laundry and come back on Saturday. So I was totally spoiled in that regard. But um, literally that drive, and then you go another 45 minutes and you're at Providence College. So um, exactly. that drive was really familiar for my folks when I was playing. Okay, so before we get to Providence, let's let's yep. talk a little bit more about Tabor Academy. So, why did you decide to you know pursue a prep school, you know the prep school option, and and how important was that in in your hockey development? Yeah, oh, it was hugely important. I think that was that was the launch pad for me to play college hockey. Obviously, um, I wanted to you know again I played boys, uh, I played two years of squirt, um, and I think either a year or two of peewees uh, when we could check at the peewee level at that point and. The boys were growing obviously really quickly um, and I was not. Um, and so um, I think both my parents, you know, were really supportive of me making that transition to play girls hockey. Um, growing up on Cape Cod, you know, the closest girls program was the Chelmsford Lions, which was Paul Kennedy at the time. And um, it was a three hour drive from home. So, you know, going to Tabor made a, obviously a lot more sense. Um, the fact that my dad was an alum was obviously a big, you know, a big, a big push for me to go to Tabor. And and just to have, you know, to play on a girls team and, and be able to experience, you know, uh, getting dressed in the same locker room as your teammates and, you know, travel and all of that. It just, uh, it made so much sense. Um, so, yeah, I was really fortunate, you know, grades nine through 12 to be able to to attend Tabor and be part of a great program there. And um, obviously it's it's home, you know, Tabor is really home for me. So how did you, tell us about the recruiting process with Providence and, and like you said that you also looked at St. Lawrence. So what was the, the process like for you getting recruited back then? Yeah, um, I was really fortunate that one of my classmates um, at Tabor was Jessica Tab, who was a fabulous player. So I think, um, and Jess was probably one of the most heavily recruited players in our, in our grad year in the New England area. So I think we were fortunate we had a lot of coaches come and watch <laughs> come and watch us play um and that really benefited you know I think that really benefited me um for sure um I uh you know I think back then too there were you know there were fewer scholarships um out there I wasn't a scholarship player um I was one of those players who had to be a little bit more proactive with my process even then um and so you know I knew I wanted a smaller school um and again, the, the location was obviously really important to me. Close to home was, was important and just the opportunity to have an impact on the team. Um, and so I was really, really lucky. Jackie Bardo was the head coach at um, Providence when I was uh, looking to go there. And I had a fabulous um, coach of mine at Tabor, actually, who was a Providence alum. And so I remember she brought me down and I got to meet with Jackie um, go through the locker room to our campus, you know, the whole nine yards. And, and that was really, you know, that was really special. Um, the crazy coincidental part about my time uh, looking at Providence and, and why I felt like it was a really good fit, obviously size, location, the ability to play was, was really good for me. But um, 
I wrote my college essay for my application on a, on a quote. And sure enough, when I was touring in the locker room, um, that quote was written on the door. Um, and so I just, it immediately, what was I the was quote? like, okay, what was the I quote? This, I'm sure you know it off by heart. Sign. Oh gosh. I knew you were going to ask me that as I started talking about it. I actually don't remember it. So it was a Lou Holtz quote though. Um, and it talked about attitude and, uh, work ethic and something else. I can't remember exactly. I'll have to come back and find it for you at some point and follow no problem, up with no it. So, yeah. It was about, you know, believing in yourself and things like that. So I don't normally do inserts in the middle of a podcast, but Holly sent me the Lou Holtz quote. So I thought I would share it. Ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do. Attitude determines how well you do it. All right. Now back to Holly. You, ha you, ha you had at least a couple of former podcast guests here who are also teammates of yours, who've also gone yeah. on to some, to coaching. So uh, Katie LaChapelle, who is yep. at Holy Cross and, and also the under 18 coach, Kirsten Matthews, uh, who was also on the podcast and now uh, now as, as an associate coach who used to coach against in the NESCAC when she exactly. was at St. Anselm. And then also Mel Ruzzi, I believe, who was uh, a teammate of yours in, in your senior year, um, yep. who who's, went from Princeton, I think, to, uh, where is she at, Brown? Uh, she's, yeah, yeah, just got named the head coach at Brown. Exactly. So, so yeah. you were kind of surrounded by some, some great leaders, obviously. And, and, totally. and how, what, what role do they play in kind of as teammates of yours while you were at Providence? Yeah, I, you got to add in Meredith Roth, um, who is the, at Holy Cross working with Katie and, and she might complete the Providence coaching uh, circuit for the podcast. Um, Cause, and I add Meredith in um, just, she's one of my very best friends and uh was a huge, I don't know, she was, she was, even though she was younger than me at Providence, um, Mayor and her passion for hockey and now passion for coaching. Um, she's one of my favorite people to kind of bounce ideas off of and share, share things with. So, um, you got to complete the Providence, uh, circuit with Meredith on the, on the my, podcast. My apologies, Meredith. I, uh... No, that's okay. <laughs> um, but those guys, you know, Katie, Katie LaChapelle, I'll just start out with, um, she was a captain, you know, when I was, uh, she was assistant captain my freshman year and then captain my senior year, or my sophomore year, her senior year. Um, and I lived with Katie for a year as well. And, um, she's always just been, uh, I, I think our values align, you know, just personally and within coaching and, and, um, Katie is just one of the best people around, you know, her hockey knowledge speaks for itself and her experience, obviously at BU and Holy Cross and certainly within USA hockey is incredible. Um, but she's one of my favorite people, um, in the world, like she, as a teammate and just as a coach and as a friend, um, she's somebody that I really look up to. Um, so she was a great, you know, she was a great mentor for me, even as a, as an upperclassman on the team. Um, Kirsten, Kirsten and I were line mates, I think, actually. So I know you said I played D for four years. I actually only played D for two. I played forward for my junior uh, and sophomore seasons. That, I will get your okay. elite prospects uh, profile updated based on that. That's okay. All right, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I bounced around, and I, it, a little bit of that came with, um, with coaching changes, right? So Jackie, when Jackie was there, I played defense. And then when Bob Durrani, um stepped in, um, he said, hey, we could really use you up front. And so I had never really played forward before, but I was okay with doing what was best for the team, obviously. And um, I cameoed at, at forward for about a year and a half. And then I finished nice. out my senior season back on the blue line. So, um, and if memory serves me correctly, Katie also played both forward and defense. So that, that Katie was so, a very so, versatile so, player. She also played yeah. field hockey, uh, yes, which is a, a little known fact. And she was a fabulous field hockey player too. She's obviously a great athlete. So Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, anyway, so Kirst, Kirst was great too. And then, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, be a leader on the team when, when both Mel and Meredith were at Providence and 
um, talk about, you know, uh, and that was also when Bob Duraney started, you know, bringing in his players and, um, you know, great thing for the, for the culture at Providence, um, both Mel and Meredith's class, uh, classes were both very strong, um, players and, and great people too. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, I got a question for you. That's a little bit personal in nature. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you face some challenges in terms of, uh, physically how you play hockey. Do you want to, you want to share that with folks? Sure. Yeah. Um, I am blind in my right eye, um, which is, uh, you know, I think when you, uh, certainly my friends in the coaching world know, because oftentimes if I'm standing on the glass or I'm in the stands and I can't totally see a jersey number or um, a certain player, I, I am not shy to ask, you know, hey, is that number, you know, six? Is that number seven? What number is that kid? Um, and so um, I rely on my friends and I always have. But yeah, I, um, I was born with cataracts on both my eyes. Um, and when I was born in 1979, uh, cataract removal surgery wasn't as routine as it is now. Um, and so my doctor, I still see the same doctor that I did when I was eight months old. So that's pretty cool. Um, she decided to take the cataract off of my right eye because I had some other complications um, with my right eye. And so they removed it, but they left the cataract on my, my good eye, my left eye. And I didn't have that cataract removed until after college. So I played my college career blind in my right eye and a cataract on my left eye. Um, and I, to this day, I, I think hockey is really unique in that the puck is black and the ice is white. And so the contrast, I think, really did help me see the puck a little bit better. But there were, and there still are times where I have no idea where the puck is. Um, and you know, you learn, you, you learn the play off the puck, you know, if players are angling in a certain way or, you know, uh, heading into the corner, I have a good idea, obviously the puck's there. And so um, I think I learned the game a little bit differently in that regard. Um, I always, and still again, to this day, struggle when the, when the puck leaves the ice surface, because that contrast is hard. Um, and I still joke with actually with Katie and a couple other teammates, um, Brown. So the kick plates, the, you know, the plastic around the, the perimeter of the rink, um, Brown University has uh, red kick plates, or they always used to. I don't know what they currently are, but that contrast when the puck was on the wall at Brown, I always really struggled with that. Um, a yellow or a light blue kick plate seems to be a little bit easier for me to track the puck on. So, um, you know, it, it, it was the only way I knew. Um, I, I grew up, you know, playing sports. I my eye doctors told me I probably wouldn't ever play sports or ever drive. And um, I seem to be doing both just fine, which is good. So that's um, an incredible story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, again, it's, it's, it's just the way it, I don't know any different basically, or I didn't know different back then, but I did get the cataract on my good. eye removed after college and I'll never forget that same eye doctor said, you'll go from seeing a bird to realizing birds have feathers. And um, it really was and has been that profound. Um, there are a few things like playing golf or even going to watch the Red Sox. Like I can see the ball and I never used to be able to. Um, and so those are little reminders, you know, where it's, it's fun to say, hey, I can actually see these things now. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's me. It's who I am. It's, it's um, my, my assistant coaches know that sometimes I miss calls because, uh, or miss plays because I don't, you know, totally see them that well. But um, I've managed to, you know, to kind of figure it out. My equipment manager at Dartmouth, I, I used to coach the forwards when I was there and matching lines. If, if the benches were across the arena from one another and I couldn't totally see who was up next, I, 
or if there was a key player, I needed to know, you know, Hey, when is so-and-so going to be coming up? Where is she on the bench? My equipment manager, he would always stand next to me and he would, he would sort of help and be my eyes in that regard too. So. Wow. Wow. Okay. That, that's yeah. an amazing story. Um, I, I could actually ask a whole bunch more questions about it. But I'm only <laughs> going to ask one question no related problem. to this, which is what was the advantage that you had because of your eyesight um, that made you actually a better player um, as a result of it? I think just seeing the play, the whole play, you know what I mean? Like I talked about maybe not knowing where the puck was. I, I was never, you know, sort of puck focused, I guess, when I played. I had to, I had to scan the ice. I had to be aware of, you know, where players were. I think when you talk about having your head on a swivel in the D zone, I, as a defenseman, I mean, I was constantly checking my surroundings and, and having, I think, a good, really good awareness of where people and players were. Um, because I had to, you know, I didn't, I couldn't rely on peripheral vision on my right side. Um, and so I really did have to um, have really, really good awareness and and a really active head on the swivel in the D zone. And, and Meredith will, you know, Meredith will attest to this. We always talked about being each other's eyes when Mare and I played defense together for um, my senior season and her freshman year. Um, she was a fabulous communicator. And I think that really helped me, you know, big time too. So um my teammates, I, you know, I think my teammates were wonderfully supportive. My coaches were very supportive. Um, and I, I definitely um, relied on them big time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, have you ever met Willie O'Ree, who I believe also had his No, had yeah, challenge? he's blind in, in one eye as well. Um, yeah. And obviously a Bruins legend. Um, I yeah. would love to meet him someday. Brian Leach um, for the Rangers. I don't know if you remember, but yeah, sure. was it? No, Brian Berard uh, played for the oh, Rangers. Oh, yes, for the Islanders. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he is a, a Rhode Island guy too. Um, and I remember he lost vision in one of his eyes. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's once again, turn to the positive. What, what's your sure. favorite youth hockey memory? Um, you know, uh, just in general, uh, as, as a female player in, in either, you know, squirts, peewees, uh, at the prep school, what's your favorite youth hockey memory that you have? Yeah. Um, well, I would have to mention the, the year, my freshman year at Tabor, we went undefeated and won the New England, uh, championship, which was very cool, obviously. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I think, gosh, there's so many, even just from getting off the bus with some of my teammates that I, you know, grew up playing squirt and peewee hockey with and getting off the bus and having our parents meet us there with our skates and being able to skate on the ponds and, you know, play just, just to play, um, which was really, really fun. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's across the spectrum. I don't know how I would pick just one memory, but, you know, those, those times on the pond or, you know, winning a New England championship at Tabor, um, we, we, we went head to head with Taft. Taft hadn't lost. Uh, they had AJ and uh, Wink Malesko, and they hadn't lost in like three years. And uh, and all of a sudden, the Tabor team came in, and and we had Allie Brewer in net, who was the first goalie to win the Patty Cash. She went to Brown, and um, and a whole host of great players. And and we had a really good, you know, really successful year that year. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, now looking back on your entire uh, hockey career, which includes Providence, what would you do differently in terms of, um, you know, uh, as a player in terms of either development or choices you made, things like that? Sure. Um, gosh, that's a hard one. You know, I think like I was, I was the kid who shot a million pucks in the basement. Um, I convinced my dad to paint, you know, a goal crease down there and, and a red line so that I had some, you know, kind of spatial awareness and, and put a net down in, in that goal crease and stuff. But 
you know, I think if I was going to do anything different, I would just have done a little bit more of that. You know, my, my shooting was pretty good. Um, I probably could have stick handled a little bit more growing up to help with my hands, but, um, I don't have a lot of regrets. And I think that's, that's also, you know, how I try to go about my life. I try to take control of what I can control and do what I can and, um, try not to look in the rear view mirror too much. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think convincing my parents to buy me skates when I did was obviously pretty timely. Um, and that really, I have so much to thank um, for that one decision that they made. So it's really obviously, and, and my dad, you know, he and I still to this day um, look back on that time. And um, I think my mom was the harder one to convince, but I, I'll never forget. I, once I did get those skates, I walked in their bedroom and on her bedside table, she had checked out. My mom was a, she was a, owned a nursery school. And so she was a teacher at heart. And, uh, and she had checked out a couple library books on, on hockey, the rules of hockey and where all the equipment goes and so on and so forth. So I think once we convinced my mom, I think, uh, I think we were golden, but, um, you know, the, the decision for them to get me skates has, has obviously just provided such an amazing path, uh, and passion for me. And obviously now I'm, you know, still in hockey and, um, I'm so lucky. So, so let, let's, let's talk about that. So you decided immediately after graduation, pretty much to, to get into coaching and you went back to, to your prep school, to Tabor yep. Academy. So talk about getting into coaching, why, and then, you sure. know, and, and, and the journey. I'm glad you said almost immediately, because what probably doesn't show up in my bio is that I worked for State Street Bank for about nine months right after Ooh, I graduated. Geez, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was a mutual fund accountant. So I was a math and business major at, at Providence and, uh, I knew I always wanted to get into coaching, um, but, you know, I wanted to move to the city and, and um, spend time with my college friends. And, and um, that, again, it was very short-lived. Um, I almost feel like I needed to do that to prove to myself that I really did want to go into coaching. Um, but I did, you know, I went through with my training program at State Street and I, I worked. Uh, I lived in Boston. I had an apartment, all that good stuff. And then in the, in the spring, um, one of my uh, former dorm parents and, you know, connections, one of my great mentors at Tabor called me up and said, hey, we're going to be looking for a hockey coach. Are you interested? And obviously, I think I turned in my resignation at State Street that day, <laughs> took the summer off and, um, and got ready to go back to Tabor. And, and I, um, I taught, like I said, I was a math major, so I taught algebra and geometry. And I coached everything. I coached um, soccer, softball. I did... Um, obviously hockey. Uh, I did think I did some conditioning and, and stuff like that too. And then I got to live in the dorm and be a dorm parent. So um, the teaching part was a little bit new to me, but again, I just, it, it was awesome. Um, I loved it. I loved, you know, I loved my three years back at Tabor and the hardest part in transitioning back there was having to call some of my former teachers by their first name and not, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So you feel um, that, that being a teacher actually helped you on the coaching side of things because it's a very so. similar type of, of, thousand of percent. skills that you need. Yeah, Exactly. And, and I think the most, you know, relatable is that I would sit at home and I would make a lesson plan to teach factoring and maybe of my 15 kids in the class, maybe 10 of them would understand, but then five of them wouldn't. And I can't, you have to think on your feet and figure out, okay, how are they going to understand factoring, you know? And so um, it's the same with forecheck. You know, you might have a plan in terms of how you're going to teach your know, forecheck and some kids are going to get it and some kids aren't. And so you have to, you know, find um, new ways to try to connect with them. And, um, you know, some are visual learners, some need to, you know, need to do it. And I, again, I think I learned a lot of that um, in those years at Tabor for sure. Gotcha. And how did you end up at Dartmouth? 
Gosh, um, well, I grew up going to the Dartmouth um, elite hockey camp, um, which was the highlight of my summer every year. One week in August and I would go and I got to play hockey and meet so many great players like Julie Chu was at the Dartmouth camp. I think it was like everybody, you know, who was growing up playing hockey would go to that Dartmouth camp in the summer. And so I loved Dartmouth um, and just obviously loved the community. And so Ted Wisner, who is the assistant up at St. Lawrence St. right Lawrence. now, Yep. Ted and I spent my first year at Tabor. Um, Ted and I were co-coaches um, or he was the head coach. I was his assistant, but I worked with him that first year back at Tabor. And um, he was very friendly with Mark Hudak, who was who I worked for at uh, at Tabor. And so when I was looking at the preps or making the jump from the prep school world to the college world, um, I had reached out to Ted and I just said, hey, you know, can you put a good word in for me at Dartmouth? And he picked up the phone. He's like, you want that job? And I said, yeah, I want that job. It's Dartmouth. You know, it's an amazing program. And, and he made a couple calls to Mark and I went up and had, you know, a great connection with Mark right off the bat. And um, yeah, 11 years later, um, it was crazy. It was a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of uh, just amazing relationships and, and um, incredible players that I had the opportunity to work with. Gotcha. Gotcha. So 11 years, yeah. Ivy League. Yeah. What made you want to be a head coach and go division three? Oh, um, well, you know, again, I think I was ready to be a head coach. Um, I probably was ready maybe after seven or eight years, but, um, I couldn't leave. It was such a great, it was such a great community and such a great program to be a part of. Um, Mark decided to step down after, you know, at, at, after my 11th year, Mark, um, stepped down as head coach and, and then, you know, it's sort of wiped the, the slate clean in terms of, um, what I was going to do and where I was looking. And to be very honest with you, you know, I hadn't really found anything in the coaching world um, after my time at Dartmouth and before I started at Colby. And I was really lucky uh, when the Colby job opened up in September, um, I was, I didn't have anything, you know, keeping me where I was. And so um, it was late, you know, obviously in the process, I started at Colby a month before my season started. Um, and uh but I, again, I was just, I think I was in a, in a really good place to be able to up and leave and move to Maine. And my sister and brother-in-law are Colby alums. And so obviously I had some familiarity with, you know, with the school, with the NESCAC and um, the NESCAC is, an, I mean, it's the best division three women's hockey conference in the, you know, in the country. And so um, what a great opportunity for me. And, and again, just very fortunate that the timing of everything worked out. Wow, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing your story that everything has a connection together, right? Tabor Academy because your dad, you know, Providence because, you know, you had a, yep. a previous player on your team. Then, I mean, you keep going back to Tabor, sure. then to, then to uh, Dartmouth, now to Colby. So um, before we get into going and diving deep on, on Colby, um, you and I met at a USA Hockey event as you were at the uh, Pacific District. So maybe talk about your role with USA Hockey um, over the years, and especially this year, because, um, you know, you were very busy with USA Hockey over the summer. For sure. Yeah, I, um, you know, I've loved all of my time with USA Hockey. I, when, when I was at Dartmouth, um, every year, you know, they, they put out the um, application to work um, their development camps in St. Cloud, and um, actually they used to be in Rochester. And so, um, I've been involved in those, you know, those camps um, for many years. Um, I've served as, a, you know, an assistant coach, a head coach, a skills coach, an on-ice director. Um, and then, you know, this year I, 
I think because of the division one coaches not being able to leave their campus to go out and, and do events, um, the opportunity for me to go uh, out to the Pacific district and be the lead evaluator um, was, it, it, I feel like it sort of fell in my, in my lap. And actually I think it was Mel Ruzzi who um, put me in touch with, with Kathy uh, who is, you know, kind of running the Pacific district. So a good connection there, obviously with a former teammate. And so Kathy reached out and said, Hey, you know, can you come out? Will you do this? And um, it was, it was an awesome opportunity. And, and again, it was that first, you know, sort of first opportunity to watch live hockey um, after, after watching on, you know, uh, live stream for most of the year. So that made it a, an even better um, event. And just to be back in a rink with, you know, colleagues and, and um, uh, coaching friends was, was really special too. So and, and sorry, um, just, just so folks know, you, you're referring to Kathy McGarrigal, who runs yes. the Pacific District for yes. USA Hockey. So just so folks Thank know. you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, went out there, got to evaluate um, all three age groups and, and look at our selections um, to send to, uh, from the Pacific District to send to the development camps. Um, really, again, really incredible opportunity. Um, you know, Kristen Wright uh, with USA Hockey was out there as well. And so it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, work with her and, and, um, you know, again, it, the hockey world is so small, um, uh, whenever you have the opportunity to, you know, to go and, and showcase your work ethic to showcase, you know, who you are as a person. I, I love doing camps and things like that because, you know, we get to obviously promote our program, but at the same time, um, we get to learn from our, you know, coaching peers and, and, um, I don't know, you just get to talk hockey and, and it's always really fun. So, so, so that was a cool opportunity. Yeah, when, when I've gone to these USA hockey events, I, I watch who talks to each other and then I try and figure out what the connection is. And I go, oh, now it all makes sense, right? And But 98% yeah. are pretty obvious to figure out somehow they either coach together or they play together or they've done USA hockey For sure. coach together type of thing. So um, yes. can I ask you a, whole, a few USA hockey questions because I, I've had a whole bunch of parents come up to me and ask me questions that I don't know the answer yeah. to. So I thought I would, would ask you that. So um, the first is, did you evaluate more than just the Pacific District or did you go to other districts as well? I did. Yep. I worked um, Massachusetts and New England this year as well. So I did Pacific Mass and New England. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how do you calibrate between those divisions, uh, sorry, the districts, because, um, you know, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but I know a parent who said, well, I wish my kid, you know, made the, went, went straight to the under 18s camp, you know, and, and didn't have to go the, an, an alternate route. And we're going, well, okay, they were in a district that really did probably didn't have a lot of great players there. So it may have been hard to calibrate. So can you, maybe can you tell me sure. how that all works and how they decide who goes to the 15s, who goes to the 16s, 17s, and who goes straight to the under 18s? Yeah, you know, I can't, um, I, there are some of those questions that I can't, I can't answer because that's, okay. uh, that's out of my, uh, that's above me, obviously. So okay, no, I'm um, trying to get Kristen on the, on the podcast. So that's fine. Yeah. No, no <laughs> that would be understood. a great question for Kristen. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I can say, you know, when you, when you like for me, even, you know, watching Pacific and then watching the New Englands and then watching Mass. Um, this year was also hard too, because there were a lot of mass and new England players who had waivers because of prep schools. Right. And so, um, that was another whole, you know, sort of, uh, tricky element to the process. Can you just explain what waivers mean due to prep? School? Oh, um, in that they maybe didn't have to go to every try, every step of the tryout. Um, because if they had left their prep school, they might not be able to go back to their prep school and finish out their academic year. So, and again, that's another part of the process that I'm not a thousand percent, you know, uh, confident talking about. Um, yeah. But 
it, I did know that, you know, at the Massachusetts district, there weren't, um, some of the top players were not there because of, you know, prep school, uh, COVID guidelines and things like that. So it's a challenge though, without a doubt, you know, watching players in Pacific, um, compare and trying to compare them, you know, to mass to new England and not knowing, you know, um, Minnesota, right? Like there's a, there's obviously a, a massive district. And so. And a lot of really good um, hockey players in Minnesota. Yep. And so I think, uh, you know, I, again, I think this would be maybe in Kristen's, in Kristen's wheelhouse, Kristen Wright's wheelhouse, but um, how they figure out, you know, the allotments from different districts and who goes to what camp and so on and so forth. Our job and my job, again, specifically when I was at uh, the Pacific district was just to identify um, if she said, okay, hey, we need four forwards to identify who those four forwards were. Um, it wasn't necessarily to compare those players to um, Massachusetts or New England. It was just really trying to find those best players at that specific um, regional tryout. So, Gotcha. Um, and, and, were you, and were you recommending, let, let's say from the 16, 17s group, were you recommending them to go to the 18s or you were just ranking them or rating them uh, accordingly to and, and let USA Hockey decide who goes to straight to the 18s versus the 16, 17s? More of the latter. Okay. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're just rating them and, yeah. and, and then let them decide. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. So how much of, of the summer does, does this USA hockey stuff take up? Cause I believe you also went to the actual under 18s camp with your former teammate, Katie LaChapelle. Exactly. Um, so for me, again, I, I left Pacific district in, in May. Um, I did the mass uh, weekend in May and then I did the new England weekend in May as well. So those were three weekends um, in May that uh, that I was working with USA Hockey. And then I think from uh, my experience at Pacific with Kristen Wright, um, she asked me to be the lead evaluator during the 16-17 camp in St. Cloud. So um, again, in a similar fashion where I was watching everybody um, during 16-17, I got to I got to work with um, Katie LaChapelle, Chelsea Walkland, and Mel Ruzzi, who are the U18 staff. And I got to um, help coordinate the meetings during the 1617 camp. So each of the, each of the camp teams and their head coaches, um, we would meet regularly during the week and talk about, you know, I would ask each coach, you know, who's, who do they recommend that Katie and her staff, you know, bring to the select camp in, in July. Um, so that was an incredible opportunity, obviously, you know, to, and again, to be able to watch, you know, sometimes when you're at those camps, you work specifically with one team and, and then you try your best, obviously, when you take off your USA hockey, hockey hat and you put on your college coaching hat, you know, you do your best to try to watch all the, all the games. Um, I didn't have that challenge this year. I just got to sit in the rink and watch hockey the whole time, which was obviously pretty fun. So, um, so that was 16, 17 in, in June. And then Kristen asked me to be a camp coach during the U18 festival in August. Um, so I didn't actually, I wasn't back in St. Cloud for the select camp and, in uh, July, like like Losh and, and her staff were. Um, so they spent definitely more time um, than I did. But I got to go back uh, to Minnesota, um, this time in Blaine, and work again as a camp coach during the U18 Festival, which was just an unbelievable opportunity. Um, it, so again, it's Katie, her staff, and then myself and, and another camp coach um, who um, we were on the ice for all practices. We were on the bench for all the games. Um, and scrimmages, which was, you know, really, really cool. And 
the two, we did the U18 scrimmage, uh, the U23 team in Blaine uh, twice. And those games I got to evaluate from up above. And it's, it's we were talking about this during the, the, the 10 days we were there. Um, the perspective that you have on the bench is obviously really different from the perspective that you have when you sit in the, you know, in the stands and watch. And so it was great throughout the week, you got to know the players. And then those last two games, I got to watch from up top and um, you just pick up on some different things. And um, again, just to, you know, to have access to, um, you know, the other coaches that are there. Like I, I love learning, you know, Lasha's language and how she teaches different things. And it's certainly stuff that I'll bring back, you know, to, to the Colby program. And, for me, just to have, you know, Division Three program represented at that level is, is um, for me, uh, it, it, it shows that they have a lot of respect for what I'm doing here, which I'm obviously incredibly proud of. And, um, you know, Kristen Wright and Katie LaChapelle are 100%, you know, who I need to thank for that opportunity. So um, it's been awesome. That's, all, that's a full cycle from, you know, watching, yep. you know, the, the, the 15s uh, at the Pacific Camp all the way through to the watching the 23s at that, uh, the, um, you know, the national camp in, in August. So that's pretty, yes. uh, the, the full range of players that you got to see a full spectrum. So let's, let, so now yet, once that was all done, you need to then go back and focus on, on Colby. So uh, before we get into, you know, uh, what you did this summer with your, with your staff, let's just talk about just Colby College. So it's, it's based in Waterville, Maine. It's yep. a small liberal arts college uh, with about 2000 students. Uh, maybe just talk about the school um, and then maybe some of your facilities, especially your upgraded facilities um, and, sure. and some of the academics of the school. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Colby is, uh, again, in Waterville, Maine, um, it's, the students, the type of students and student athletes that we attract are, um, you know, obviously again, being part of the NESCAC, the NESCAC is known as, you know, the small Ivies um, or, or small Ivies. And so my transition from Dartmouth to Colby was um, incredibly smooth, just given my background there. And so the type of student athletes that we're looking to attract at Colby are, you know, very academically driven. Um, but also very, you know, very serious about their um, athletics as well. Um, they're very well-rounded, you know, really balanced, um, down-to-earth student-athletes. I think that's one of the things that I love the most about Colby. Um, the setting of the college is obviously a main, so we have, you know, we have skiing, we have hiking, we have canoeing and kayaking, um, we have Acadia National Park, um, the L.L. Bean headquarters are right here. I mean, it's just the location is is awesome um, for an outdoorsy and very active type of student. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, that within, within my program and the type of player that we're now attracting compared to when, you know, when I first started here, um, it's uh, a lot of the players are really passionate about their development. Um, they're very passionate about improving um, as individuals, but also, you know, trying to win together as a team and, and, um, I've been really lucky uh, to be very, obviously very well supported here at Colby um, in terms of our recruiting. And um, we, at the start of the school year last year, um, even in a COVID year, we, we um, got to, to open up our new athletic center, um, which is 350,000 square feet of um, just incredible, uh, in, in incredible space for our, our students and our athletes. Um, it's been described by a lot of people as a Disney world for athletes. Um, and it, and it really is just that. So. How, how was that able to come together? Cause, cause you know, as a small liberal arts college, um, but when I looked it up, uh, did my little research, you guys have like a billion dollar endowment and I'm sure you have a bunch of alumni who are really into sports. So how'd that all come together? If, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, well, from, 
attending the um, you know the, the soft opening that we had for for the facility last um, last fall, David Green, who's the president of the college, um, he he's the one that was the big driver in all of this, you know. And I think um, what I know about David is he he's a he's a doer. Um, he's he's moving and he's and he's progressing forward even in a pandemic. Um, and so, and, and what he has done for Colby and specifically Colby athletics is just incredible. Um, he values our athletics program here at Colby, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that I love the most about working here is that we have a president of the college who sees, you know, sees value in, in, you know, that out of classroom education as well. Um, he's a huge hockey fan. So I think that helps us as well. Both plays nice. McDonald, our men's staff, uh, men's head coach. And I um, always say that, that we're just so lucky that, you know, the president of the college really, you know, he's, he's a huge supporter of athletics and um, specifically hockey. So that's pretty Let's cool. Talk about the Jack Kelly rink. Yeah. Um, so it's getting painted actually right now, um, which is exciting for the school year. Um, Jack Kelly's name will be, you know, um, painted onto the, um, in the neutral zone, um, in front of both benches. So that's, that's obviously really special. Um, it's an incredible, uh, incredible facility. And, and again, you know, we got to practice there every, every day last year, which was really special for our players. Um, we played two games. One was home. Um, we got the first win in, in the new, uh, in the new arena as the women's team. And we got the last one in our old one. So that was pretty special too, for the team. So that was against Southern Maine. Am I correct on that? Exactly. Yep. Those are your yep. only two games that you played last season, unfortunately. We'll get into that Correct. in a second. But well, related to that, since you only played two games last year, maybe we can, this is a good time to just talk about how COVID impacted your season last year and, and kind of how that then translates into, you know, the, the new world order that we have coming up for this year. For sure. You know, I think, again, as I, as I just said, we were really lucky. We got, we were here, first of all, you know, and, and I think, again, um, David Green and what he did for the college, um, you know, during the pandemic uh, COVID year, um, we invested in a ton of testing. Um, we, you know, have the benefit of being in a, um, not a, you know, big city, obviously, you know, we're, we're here in Maine and, and um, you know, fortunately for us, the cases in, in our area um, were, you know, not what they would have been in Boston um, or, you know, a bigger city. And so, um, we decided, uh, uh, Colby and, and our leaders obviously decided to bring the, you know, the whole community back and, and we just cranked away on testing and um, we're really lucky in that, you know, again, we were able to practice. So we were able to, you know, be in the new facility. We, we obviously masked, you know, constantly and, and um, did a lot, you know, distanced, um, did a lot over Zoom, but um, we, you know, we were here, we were developing our skills, we were coming together closer as a team. And I think that's one of the things that's going to really help us um, going into this season in that, you know, I know throughout the course of the year, last year, the players, my players would say, coach, if, if we can get through this, we can get through just about anything, you know, and, and they were really tested and um, we relied on each other. We, you know, we, we went through a lot together as a, as a team and one of our team core values is family. And I think that that was, you know, that was a, that was a big one for us last year and that we were, you know, able to um, support one another and, you know, in a way that um, was really just different than any other way that we had supported each other prior. So that's the silver lining for me, I think, for our program. You know, we, we certainly worked, you know, we, we got better last year. We got stronger in the weight room. Um, we worked on our skills on the ice. Um, we competed. We did a three-on-three cross-ice series, um, which got heated, and it was just so much fun. The girls loved that. So, 
And then we actually scrimmaged with the men's program. Um, we did a, a combined scrimmage, men's and women, which was really cool. Um, I, my goalies played um, the whole games, uh, which was fabulous to see them, you know, making glove saves and great, you know, great, uh, um, just great interactions with the men's program. And, and again, I think our the relationship that we have with them is really special. And so, um, you know, again, we made progress last year. And I think that we have a lot of that to, to build upon um, this coming year. Gotcha, gotcha. And you have a new addition to, to the Colby family. Um, when I originally reached out to you to, to be part of the podcast, you said, hey, I need to hire an assistant coach first. Uh, and then, you know, after I do that, then I can come on the podcast. Well, you, you've now hired an assistant coach. And I actually saw both of you when I was in Boston for the, the Naha Showcase. Um, yes. You want to talk about hiring Olivia Soares, who was uh, yeah. a recent grad from Ohio State? Incredible. Um, I hit a, I hit a grand slam um, in hiring Liv for sure. Um, she has big shoes to fill. Justin Simpson um, was my assistant for two years. Um, he left uh, just prior to the to the COVID year, and then I had actually um, two of my former captains were back as my assistants last year. So, um, you know, again, it's uh, it's a great honor having Liv um, be a part of this program. She obviously has a great. Um, career at Ohio State and, and a captain and, and helped Ohio State capture their um, first ever WCHA championship, you know, and, and that's that's at the forefront of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to capture our first NESCAC championship at Colby and um, to have Liv and her experience, um, you know, she's she's obviously younger and she's very relatable for my student athletes. Um, you know, she's she was an incredible student at Ohio State as well, just got her master's. So, um, you know, I think she she embodies that balance between academics and athletics that I really, you know, I want our student athletes to, um, you know, to, to strive for excellence in both of those areas. And I think, uh, you know, live, she, she lives that, um, she is that, and that's who she is. And um, to have her as a, as a, as a coach um, and a leader uh, mentor for, for my student athletes, I think is just, um, like I said, it's a grand slam. So. And and you pretty much put her to work right away, uh, right right after the announcement. Uh, you know, was when when I saw you two out uh, recruiting and or at least uh, scouting. Um, I didn't so, put her to work. She asked to be there, and so I I had told her. I said, let's just make sure you you know transition back home. And she said, can I come to the rink? And I said, absolutely. Well, that's, that's that's probably what you want to hear, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's why I hired her. All right. So yeah. so let let's just talk. Um, let let's talk about. Division one versus division three recruiting and, and what's similar and what's different between the two. And then I got more detailed questions to get into after that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the, t the timing and, and when we're, and, and again, my division one experience was prior to the new rules, uh, you yep. know, kind of kicking into place. So I haven't operated at the division one level with the new recruiting rules um, and the, you know, sort of delayed and, and um, pushback communication. When I left Division One, you know, we were on the phone with ninth graders, you know, tenth uh, graders, and I didn't love that. Um, I think it's obviously a little, obviously scaled back now and a little bit more balanced. But what I do really like at the Division Three level is, um, you know, it's it's a the, the contact and the touch points happen when the players are obviously a little bit older and a little bit more mature, and when they should be going through the the process um, and communicating with coaches, and so. Um, so, so how does that work in terms of, like, what, what is it you're waiting for, you know, from, from, for players? Like, are, are there some that are, like, very clearly want to play Division three for maybe they want to play multiple sports or, you know, uh, financial reasons, whatever it is that they want to go straight to Division three, Or are mostly are you waiting to see who ends up, uh, you know, deciding that Division one is, isn't going to happen for them? That's, the, again, more of the latter. Um, okay. You know, I... I 
my goal is to recruit players who can play at the division one level as well. Um, I want, you know, I want those types of players. And so I try to be a little bit more patient because, um, you know, it's, uh, especially this year with, um, you know, players being granted that extra year of eligibility and, and the, you know, the, the graduate transfers and transfers that we're seeing at the division one level. Um, there are fewer spots, obviously, you know, at the D one level this year, and it'll probably be for the next couple of years. Um, you know, so that has obviously a, you know, kind of trickle down effect for us. And so, um, trying to be patient, trying to see, you know, who are those kids who are kind of holding out for D1 and, and I'm going to lose some, I lost two that went to a division one school just this week, you know, and, um, I can't fault them for that. I obviously am very supportive. I know what that dream and that passion is like to play division one hockey. And so I have to be supportive of that, but, my hope is that I get, you know, some of those other kids, some of those kids who maybe don't have the opportunity to play division one and, and um, that will come here and have a division one experience. You know, my experience prior to Colby has all been division one. And so I run the program exactly, you know, the way we ran it at Dartmouth and exactly how, you know, it was run when I was at Providence and still having a lot of good friends at the division one level. I get to, you know, hear what they're doing and how they're, you know, again, how they're running their programs. And that's, you know, that's what we do here. So, um, I got, I got a question. Uh, so I, I was speaking yeah. to a dad um, a couple of weeks ago who has a 2022 daughter um, who has at least one Division Three offer, um, but she's been telling that school, "Hey, I really, really want to play Division One. Um, you need to wait, basically." Uh, so how do you handle that situation when when there's a player you're interested, you've made an offer to, but they're basically saying, "You know, you're you're really not my first choice. Division One is." Try not to take it personally. <laughs> I remind myself of that all the time. Um, but again, I, I also remind myself of those are the kids that I want. And, and again, I'm going to win some and I'm going to lose some. Um, and I think just being realistic about that, you know, for me, I, I like to be in the mix in that situation. You know what I mean? That means I'm recruiting the, the right type of player, um, the player who wants that division one experience, um, who's talented or, or, you know, believes that they're talented to play at that level. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'm fine being patient in that regard, you know, um, I don't know, I can't speak for other coaches. Um, but I, I think, you know, again, I remind myself, it's not, it's not personal, you know, if they choose to go D1, it's good for them. Um, I have, and what's your, uh, what's your pitch to them as to why it would actually be a better choice for them to come to division three than division one. And an example would be ice time. Oh, for sure. Experience, for yeah. impact. What do you want your role to be? Um, you know, do you want to, do you want to be in the stands? Do you want to be, you know, working your way into the lineup or do you want to come into the lineup and have an immediate impact? You know, do you want to be a driver of our culture? Do you want to try to win a championship, you know, or do you want to go to a team that's, you know, trying to qualify for playoffs? You know, it's, it's, what do you want your experience to be? Um, and so, um, that, you know, that's the, that's, it's black and white. I mean, it's, you're not going to be an impact player at the division one level and an impact player at the D3 level that you just, you're either going to be an impact at the D1 level, or you're going to be uh, a very average role player at the division one level, you know, and, a, and an impact at the division three level. So um, I think it is, you know, it's what they, what they want their experience to be. Some kids are totally fine, you know, working their way into the lineup at the division one level because it's division one. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, so. and, and are there other reasons why they would go division three? It could be playing multiple sports. It could be academics. It could be, you know, areas yep. of interest location. Yeah. I think that's one of the things again, that I love about Colby is that balance of, you know, your academics, your athletics, 
um, certainly there's, there's no school or program that's going to prepare you better for life after college, I think, than a school like Colby um, and a program like ours. So um, it, it's, uh, you know, I have, uh, I think I'm going to have four uh, this year who play multiple sports on my roster. So two field hockey, a softball, um, and lacrosse. And so that certainly, I think, is nice. a driver, you know, for some of my athletes as well, is that they can play and impact uh, multiple teams on campus. So Nice, nice, nice. All right. So um, I, when I went to your team's website, there was no schedule yet for this coming season. So what are the plans for this coming season? Uh, well, we do have a schedule. It's just not released yet, probably. Uh, <laughs> our roster is probably still the roster from last year. So yeah. that'll all get updated, obviously, as the school year kicks off. But, um, you know, the plan for this year, I think, is... Um, it's it's interesting. I feel like after last year, we just, all of us in the NESCAC and, and probably a lot of teams in the country, um, I feel like we just start with a clean slate. You know, our 1920 season was an incredible season for the program, but um, to me, it's, it's, that's a, such a thing in the past. You know, we can't, we can't hang our hat on that year. Um, we have to really, you know, start to create um, a similar culture and a similar, um, a similar standard just in terms of how we're going to do things. And, and again, I think we sort of have the opportunity to, you know, sort of start clean here. Um, obviously coming off last year gives us a, I think we start a little bit ahead of some of our competitors, but um, you know, we've got to get back to basics in terms of how we play um, and really focus on our culture. We do that every year, um, spend a lot of time, you know, working on our, our values, working on, our connection with one another and working on our, you know, we, unfortunately we don't have to work on this one that much, but, but sort of um, sparking that passion to be on the ice and developing and, and getting better and coming together as a team. So. Nice. Nice. All right. So I, I, I do have one more technical recruiting rule question for you. Um, division three schools are, are you able to talk to any player at any time or do you have to follow the same rules as division one of waiting until the, the June 15th of, of uh, at the end of their, I guess would be their sophomore year. Yeah. So um, division three is, will be conference by conference. There's no blanket um, division three rule like there is um, at the division one level. So it, it varies a little bit. Um, you know, what Tim at Elmira can do is different than what I can do. Um, and okay. so um, in the NESCAC, um, we can, you know, we can, I can reach out to a, a student athlete at any time. I don't have to wait until after their junior year. Um, right. We're a little bit more restricted in terms of when we can do overnights and things like that. Um, but as far as communications go and, and in person at a, you know, at an event, we have to wait for that player to be done. Um, uh, like within their day. So I don't have to wait until the end of a tournament to talk to a player. I can, um, I can wait until they're released at the end of, you know, the day on a, on a Saturday and, and meet with them at the, you know, once they're done with their games for that day. So um, it's, you know, there's little innuendos within each conference um, and each one is going to be a little bit different at the division three level. So. Okay. That's, that's good to know, but if yeah. you want to any, People can reach out to you right away then if they wanted to have they a conversation can. with you. Yeah. So but again, I, just because yeah. our, our recruiting, um, it's just a, it, it happens later. I almost, I almost laugh when I get emails from a 24 or a 25 right now. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, just be a, <laughs> be a kid, play, focus on, you know, your school and getting better. And don't worry about me at this point. Um, but yes, I can reach out to them if I wanted to. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and uh, I believe you do have a questionnaire on your website, just, uh, yes. just, just like almost all the other schools. So uh, if folks did want to reach out to you, what, what's the best way to, to get a hold of you guys? 
Yeah, you know, I think submitting that um, that questionnaire is huge for a lot of us. It, it's uh, I know there are some recruiting services and things out there um, that players can use, but it's getting their information in our database is actually the key piece, right? And so submitting those questionnaires gets them specifically to Colby Women's Hockey. Um, at Colby, we're also really lucky because it syncs to our admissions office. And so oh, nice. when you submit your questionnaire for hockey, you're also going to get looped into, you know, our admissions mailings and things like that. Um, the, again, those, those scouting services and things like that are great, but it's just, it's much easier if you input it, you know, on the school's website. Um, email is, is definitely the best. Um, again, I, I do try to reply to almost all. I'm not timely in that, but I do try to reply to as many um, and, and almost all emails as I can um, just to acknowledge that I've received it. I, I'm a firm believer if they take the time to email me, um, I want to take the time to, to email them back. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Last question. So what advice do you have for, for players who are like 2022s or 2023s as they're looking at their options, especially with all the uh, complexity going on with, with the recruiting these days, especially at the division one level, what, what advice do you have for these players? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it'd be twofold. One is um, be proactive, you know, take control of, of your process. Um, I think sometimes kids will wait, you know, to get a call or to get the emails and it's, you know, you've got to be proactive. You've got to take control, you know, of your process. And I think one of the other really important things to remember is try not to compare yourself to your teammates or to others. You know, I think that's a really easy thing for us to do. Um, and I know parents do it too. You know, it's like, oh, well, my kid is doing this or this kid's doing that. So my kid has to do that. It's different for everybody. The process is going to be unique. It's going to be um, subjective, you know, there's, uh, um, obviously your play is a factor, your position is a factor, your academics are a factor, you know, uh, financials can be a factor, you know, depending on what type of schools you're looking at. And so no two kids and no two families are going to be the same. Um, and so really try, I think we can go down a slippery slope when we try to, you know, compare ourselves to teammates and to others. Um, run your own race. And I, I borrow that, you know, little piece of advice from uh, Lee J. Uh, Marisolo at, at Harvard. She, you know, used that at one point this summer. And it's, it's so true. You have to run your own race. You have to, you know, kind of do what you can do for yourself. Um, and just, you know, again, be really proactive, put yourself out there. Um, it's almost like a job interview. You know, you're going to reach out, you're going to express interest. Um, don't have your parents do it. You know, I don't want to hear from parents. I want to hear from the players. So, um, you know, try not to compare yourself, try to take control of what you can and um, try to be patient. You know, I think this is obviously a really, it's a challenging time. Um, and the players I think are, you know, antsy. They want to, um, you know, they want to have a decision. They want to, you know, kind of move forward in the process. And I think for us as coaches, and I think I alluded to this, you know, to you back earlier in the summer, we're playing catch up too. You know, they feel like they're playing catch up as players um, and putting themselves out there. But as coaches, we're playing catch up as well. You know, we spent this whole summer going out on the road and trying to see players play in person for the first time in a long time. And um, I know I personally, I felt behind at the start of the recruiting year, you know, and so um, I'm still doing my homework. There are players that, you know, I talk to right now and I still say, hey, I still need to see you play, you know, and it's just because I, you know, we just didn't have the opportunity to go to nationals. We didn't have the opportunity to, you know, do stuff at the end of the season last year. So um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a unique time. Um, we can all find a silver lining in it, you know, and um, I think they'll, you know, I hope they'll 
um, they'll be tested um, and, and hopefully they'll be resilient and they'll be able to build some strength, you know, knowing that they've gone through the process and they've done what they can. So awesome. Awesome. That's some great advice. Well, Holly, I, I want to thank you it's so not much. Easy. For, <laughs> yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Champs App podcast. It was great to hear about Colby College, hear about your experience with USA Hockey, and then obviously your, your advice on, uh, on, on figuring out this whole recruiting uh, process as, as, as kids are navigating both the Division One and the Division Three options that they might have. For sure. It, it really is my pleasure. I, I love talking about Colby. I love talking about our program and um, certainly going back and, and thinking back to my own, uh, my own path in hockey is obviously really fun to sit and reflect on. So I really appreciate um, you asking me to be on this and uh, giving me the opportunity to talk more about my program. I really want to thank Holly for joining me on the podcast. It was great to hear about her playing at Providence College, her being the scout with USA Hockey, and of course her sharing her insights about Division Three hockey. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better, if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.